Father, thank you for the gift of this day. Look out the window and say, oh, it's easy to praise you on a beautiful day. But regardless of whether or not it's beautiful outside, and I thank you for the privilege that we have of gathering together here this morning as a body of believers. Many of us will leave here this morning encouraged just because we spent time with other believers. We'll have a simple two-minute conversation with somebody, and it'll be enough to lift our spirits a bit. Maybe some of us have come bearing some burdens this morning. Maybe some of us have come just feeling like, wow, the sun is shining. It's all good. I just want to celebrate with other believers. I don't know what perspective each one of us have entered the building with this morning. But I know this. You're a big enough God for all of it. Wherever we came from, wherever we came with, whatever we came with, whatever was on our heart, on our minds, you're a big enough God for all of it. We would testify to that this morning. There'd be a a whole bunch of us that could testify, you've been enough. I also know there might be some of us here this morning that are saying, I wonder if God's enough. And I don't know. It doesn't feel like it right now. As we read the Psalms, Father, we recognize there's many times that the psalmist cried out and said, I don't know where God is. Does he still care? Does he still love me? Is he still with me? And maybe some of us are here this morning feeling a little bit of that. God, I pray as we center our hearts and minds and our focus, and we've already started doing that in the expression of our songs, in the expression of our givings, in our attention. We've always started, already started to, to center our focus on you. Uh, make it wholly that. Make it absolutely that, that in the next few minutes we would center our focus on who you are and what you've accomplished in our lives, and that that, that would be enough to set us for the week that is ahead of us. We thank you, Father, for your grace and for the mercy that we share in this place. For those who belong to this family who aren't here with us this morning, for whatever reason, you ask your blessing on them as well. Lift them, encourage them, and and love them where they are. And we just thank you for your love and your provision. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Turn in your Bible for me, if you would, please, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew, the first of the Gospels. Read chapter 6, from chapter 6 of Matthew. Uh, several weeks ago, we started a little a series that I wanted us to look at called The Tough Teachings of Jesus. These are things that Jesus said that, honestly, typically, many of us in the church, we know them, they're familiar to us, but they're tough enough that we kind of dismiss them. Uh, things like the first one we looked at several weeks ago was this idea of love your neighbor. I've heard that before. I knew the Bible said that, but uh, you don't, or love, sorry, I love your enemy. Um, but a lot of us kind of think, well, you don't really know my enemy. You don't really know how much angst, how much hurt they brought into my life. And so I tolerate my enemy. I keep my distance from my enemy. I don't cause trouble with my enemy. But Jesus said, if you really want to be a follower of mine, I actually want you to love your enemy. I want you to give up something of yourself so that their life is more richly blessed. That's what he meant by love, an active sacrifice on my part. So I'm going to confess to you this morning, I don't do a great job of loving my enemies. I struggle with that, and I think most of us do because we knew it. It's not a surprise. We've heard it before, but it's a tough teaching of Jesus that we say, I don't really know how to do this. I'm just going to quietly set it aside. One we looked at a couple weeks after that was this idea that Jesus said, if you really want to be my follower, you've got to be willing to give up everything and carry the cross that I give you. Um, I know he said it. Again, it's fairly familiar, but to be honest, God, I have a hard enough time carrying my own crosses. I'm not really interested in Jesus burdening me with something else. Now, that's not exactly what he meant by it, but it's another one of those tough things that he said that we say, yeah, I, I heard that before. I know it's in the Gospels. I know Jesus said it. Don't really know how to do it, and so we kind of set it aside. These are tough things, and Jesus said them in a way that, that this, the paraphrase is this, if you really want to be my follower, this isn't a religious thing, and this is not talking about, I'm talking if you really want to be my follower, this is the parameter. This is the framework of what it looks like. 
The one that we just started looking at a couple of weeks ago isn't a command like, love your enemy. It's actually an imperative statement. In the same way that a commander in an army would say to some of his soldiers, do this, right? If they didn't obey the command, people end up dying. People end up getting hurt. So, love your enemy. Carry my cross. These are, are commands, imperative statements. But the one we looked at a couple of weeks ago is this. Don't worry. Now, that's not a command. It's more of an invitation that Jesus says, don't worry about uh, the simple things of life. It's in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start reading from verse 25. This is the same passage I read for us last week. I'm going to pick up on this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or your drink, or about your body, what you wear. Is not life more than food and, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you with by worrying add a single hour to your life? <laughs> and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, it's thrown into the fire, will there not be much more clothe will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen to that? Anybody felt that before? Each day has enough trouble of its own, or is it just me feeling that? Jesus speaks truth, does he not? And yet this passage bothers me because it feels so trite and it feels so simplistic. Don't worry about what you eat or what you wear. Look at the birds and the grass. Yay, woo-wee. Don't worry, be happy. I mean, that's at first reading, that's certainly what it sounds like. Jesus says, just, just don't worry about it. Just stop worrying about it. So whatever it is that you came here worrying about today, just stop it. Don't worry about it anymore. I'm so glad I could help you with that because you looked like you were troubled. See, it's easy. You just stop worrying about it. It's actually not what he's saying at all. What Jesus is doing in this teaching is giving us a sound biblical perspective about how to, how to set the priorities in our life. Last week, we asked this question. Does your faith in Jesus Christ, for those of you who are here this morning and say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm Christian, does your faith in Christ actually give you a framework for your life that you can hook into when you have to make a tough decision? Or when you've got something pressing down on you? Is it your faith that you can lean back on? Or is our faith just something that gets expressed on Sunday? Or it's one of the things that's true about me? You know, I have this career, I'm this in my family, I'm this, this. Oh, and by the way, I believe Christian things. Or does your faith actually give you something to fall onto when everything else fails us? Does your faith work for you when you've got so much weighing down on you that you can't get rid of those worries and those anxieties? I want for my faith and I want for your faith, I want us to be able to answer yes to that. Yeah, I can rely on my faith. There's actually things I can do. There's, there's principles that I can do and I can follow after in my faith to sort that out. Because, and we identified this last week, despite what Matthew 6 sounds like, there is no worry switch, right? Oh, I'm so worried, I'm so anxious, the, the, the finances, the thing, this, whatever, I'm just, click, never mind, I'm not worried about it. It's all good. All right? There is no such switch. We can't just turn it off. And so 
The question is, how do we stop from worry taking over our life? Last week we looked at this Bible verse. In Corinthians, Paul writes, Paul writes his letter to the Corinthians, and he's talking to them about how we deal with conflicting theories of life, whether it's other people who disagree with our faith or whether it's us sifting and sorting out our faith. And so he says this, we're human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning. You understand it is actually the strongholds of human reasoning that often cause us to worry. We, we imagine ourselves as being so intelligent because we're the dominant species on the planet, but it's actually the strongholds of our reasoning that eventually take us down spirals and pathways where we end up just full of anxiety. Right? That's the best we've got, and that's where it often leads us to. So we use God's weapons to knock down the stronghold of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that, that keeps people from knowing God, and we capture those rebellious thoughts and teach them to be obedient to Christ. That is a critical, critical phrase. I'd like you, for you to mark that in your Bible or identify that. One of the answers, the biblical principle for how do I deal with worries and anxieties that seem to take me over is I'm going to take captive those thoughts and I'm going to sift them against the truth of the gospel. And if they don't line up, then I know where the truth is. We capture rebellious thoughts and we make them obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do I know about the gospel of Jesus Christ? What do I know about those truths? What do I know about the nature of God? If I want my worries and anxieties and the stresses of life to be obedient to the truth of the gospel, I've got to know what the truth of the gospel is. I've got to know what is the truth about the nature of God. What has he done? What has he accomplished in my life? We need to pay attention to those things. And that's what we picked up on last week. And so uh, we find out that there's actually... Uh, material that comes out of the secular world of psychology about how the human brain works and how it is that people that tend to go down negative pathways, a study that started way back in the, in the late 90s, but it was really kind of formed in around 2004, that was targeted at people who uh, were suicidal or who had uh, huge personality disorder issues and, and couldn't control where their mind was going. And so they did these long, you know, over the course of many years, these studies on how does the human brain sometimes default to certain things, and how can we capture those things and make them lead to more positive results? It was called the uh, dialectic behavioral theory model, which is kind of irrelevant to us, uh, but it, the points were this. When they, they said, talking about worries and anxieties, and these are a couple of the points. This is just a quick review from last week. One of the things that we tend to worry about things in the vague, in the abstract. I'm worried about just generally this. I'm worried about, you know, do I have enough to retire? I'm worried about my kids in general. And one of the things they found that helps to lead to more positive thought was get more specific. What, what specifically are you worried about that's going to happen that may not lead you to have enough by the time you retire? What specifically is it about your kids that you're worried about? And so one of the steps they said that helps people deal with anxieties and our, for our perspective, capture those thoughts was to get very specific about the concerns. And the second one was to do this, label it, call it for what it is. Once you get specific about the things that are worrying you or cause you anxiety, um, you, you name it. It's not yet a reality, it's a, a thought that I've had and I've developed this thought and I keep lingering on this thought, but it's just that, it's a thought. It's not tangible yet, it actually hasn't happened. Um, it's a concern, it's an abstract, and it probably doesn't have enough reality to it to exist if I don't keep dwelling on it. 
Because here's the thing, and I put a quote up last week from, from uh, was it Winston Churchill, who said that for all the trouble in my life, most of it actually never happened. And the reality is they found in this particular study over the course of 10 years, the vast majority of things that we as people tend to worry about actually never happen. Which is ironic. How, how much energy has it robbed me of? How much of my life has it taken away from me? The things that actually never come to be. Only because I choose to dwell on it. So which is why we need to be able to capture our thoughts and make them obedient. There's a story in the Gospels of a man who comes to Jesus and says, I need you to heal my son. He's possessed of his spirit and we can't seem to do anything about it. And Jesus says, look, all you need to do is believe. And his answer was, no, I believe you can do it. I need you to help me with what I don't believe. Right? What, what a powerful statement because I think all of us can resonate with that. God, I, I, know, I know you can. I believe. It's just that I don't always believe. And there's that tension in there. So the third point of this theory that I want to look at this morning, and there's actually two different Bible verses that, that speak to this, is the third point they did in this study was this. Once you've gotten specific about the thing that you're anxious about, that you're worried about, that keeps haunting you, and once you've put a label on it and said, I know what this thing is, I'm going to call it for what it is, the third thing is don't ignore it, engage it, and replace it. Now, part of this is we want to say, God, I need you to deal with all my worries. God, you do it all. But there is a part for us to do in this. We have to take ownership over some of this. And so the third point is, don't avoid it, engage it, and replace it. The, the typical response when we're worried about something is, I'm just going to stop thinking about it. I've got to get away from it, right? I'm going to avoid it. But the problem is our brain's not wired like that. If I stood up here and I sang, and I could pick almost any song I wanted to, and I sang it for a couple of minutes, I could get that song stuck in your head, and 20 minutes from now it would still be there. And you'd be driving home today going, oh, I can't, why did he do that to us? This is the song that never ends. Because once it gets stuck in your head, you can't just tell yourself, stop it. You have to what? You have to replace it with something else. Something else has to draw your attention. This is the limitation of who we are. I can't think of nine things at once and actually focus on all of them. One of them is going to take a dominant place in my head. That's just our design. That's how we're wired. So we're not wired to just stop thinking about something. We're wired so that we have to replace it with something else. There is no worry switch. You don't just turn it off. So this isn't this idea of uh, not to avoid it, but to engage it. It's not avoidance. It's actually capture the current reality of our situation rather than dwell on the future unlikely situation. For the believers, it's this. I choose to focus on what God is doing and has done rather than worrying about the fact that he might not show up tomorrow. Right? Isn't that, isn't that in a nutshell... Sometimes where our worries are, where our anxieties start to take ownership over us is, what if God doesn't show up tomorrow like he did yesterday? What if God just decides arbitrarily, I'm done with blessing you. I'm done with protecting you. What if, what if, what if? Not reality at all. And yet when I dwell on my worries, when I dwell on my anxieties, when I just let them take ownership, essentially that's the voice that starts to resonate. God won't rescue tomorrow like he did yesterday. So one of the things that we can help do in, in, our, in our worries is to trust that God is going to be consistent in who he is. In fact, in the, what we read this morning, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, stop focusing on those things. Seek first the kingdom of God. Look what God has already presently doing. And if I set my mind there, I can't set it in both places at the same time. 
But the scriptural basis for this idea comes from two different passages. And the first one is this. In Romans chapter 12. Now Paul wasn't writing specifically about how the people in Rome, the believers in Rome, would deal with their worries. But listen to what he says to the believers that he writes this letter. He says, give your bodies over to God and let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable. Now, again, this is a familiar passage, and we may have looked at it and said, just our physical bodies. Paul's not talking about just the physical body. He's talking about the holistic person. Give everything about yourself over to God as a sacrifice. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but listen, this is from the NLT, and I chose it because I love this wording. Let God transform you into a new person by, say it out loud, it's right there, changing the way you think. One of the reasons I struggle with worry, I struggle with worry and anxiety, and so do many of you because you came to me last week and said, oh man, this sermon is speaking right to me. I'm a worrier. I think I lost count around four or five people last week said, I know about this. I taste this. I feel it every single week. Listen to these words. Let God transform you into a new person by, say it again, changing the way you think. My prayer has sounded like this at times. God, my body is broken, my spirit is weak, and I can't fix my mind. I cannot stop my mind from going where I know it can't go, and it shouldn't be going. So God, I need you to fix my mind. And I will testify you this morning with absolute confidence he has done exactly that. When I've learned to sacrifice myself before him and say, Anything you want, whatever you're going to do, I'll need you to do. I'm going to set myself on the altar and let you burn this sacrifice the way you feel it should be burnt. And God has been true to this scripture. God has been true to this, that he would change the way I think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What's one of the biblical principles for how I can deal with with my worries. It is to present myself as a sacrifice before God, to relinquish control of my wandering mind and say, God, I've tried, I don't know how many times, to stop my mind from going there, and yet I'm lying to myself. Even when I say I'm not thinking about it, I'm still thinking about it. Even when I try to think of something else, I'm still in the back of my mind that's still haunting me. Give myself over to God. What could a strategic change of mind look like? Again, this comes from some of the studies, but I I found it very, very helpful. When they talk about capturing our mind and being specific, one of the things they said is, separate the things that you're worried about that you can do something about. For example, I'm worried that in a few years I'm going to be obesely overweight. But I can do something about that. I can change my diet and I can change my exercise. So it's a worry in which I can actually do something about. Separate those from worries that I can't do anything about. I'm worried that my kids, that my son is going to make stupid decisions in his life. Well, I can guide him, I can counsel him, I can teach him, but at the end of the day, why are you looking at your son like that? I'm not worried so much about your son making stupid decisions. That's not true. I've seen him make some decisions. Anyway, that's another conversation. There are some things that I worry about I can't do anything about. And those are the ones we tend to dwell on, right? Can't do anything about it, but I'm just going to think about it over and over and over and over again. Now, what they didn't say in this study, but for us as believers, there's an answer to that. God, I'm worried about this thing, and there's nothing I can do about it. So you're going to have to. And we can do that with a great measure of confidence. 
How many of us here this morning would be able to testify that when I actually, honestly, genuinely gave it over to God, whatever it was, it was my finances, it was my family, it was my relationships, it was my job, it was whatever, when you actually got to that point where you literally gave up and let God do it, did he or did he not prove himself to accomplish purposes that maybe you didn't even imagine? Am I the only one? Is there anybody else that can testify to that? He's good for it, right? This isn't a system of religious thoughts that we've collected and say, sounds good. This is experiential. This actually happens. When we give these things over to God, he actually answers it. So I can separate my worries into, here's the things I'm worried about, and I can do something about these things, and then go ahead and do some of the things that addresses that. And here's the things I'm worried about that I can't do anything about, and give these up to God. I'll sacrifice myself on God's altar, let him change my thinking. It helps me to separate from the imaginary things that I think might happen into what God is actually doing right now. So I take these things and I turn them over to God and I give up control of them and then what? Well, the second scripture that I want us to take a look at this morning is again another familiar one from the book of Philippians. This this particular section starts with this. This just sounds so easy, right? Don't worry about anything. Just turn the switch and stop worrying. Thanks, Captain Obvious. If I knew how to do that, I would have done it by now, right? But listen, hold on, it goes on. Instead, instead of worrying about everything, instead, pray about everything. Take it to God. This, this is, at one level, it's foundational, it's basic. We say, well, as Christians, we pray, we trust God. And yet, how often as Christians do we not do that? Because there's that little part of us that says, do you really think that just praying and giving it over to God is going to make a difference? And yet we just said a couple minutes ago, yeah, I've actually experienced that in my life. Instead of worrying about everything that's going on, pray about everything. And tell God what you need. Not because he needs to know. Not because he didn't know before you said it. Because you've got to hear yourself say it. I've got to get specific about the thing that's weighing so heavily on me and then I can say it to God. This is exactly what I'm worried about. This is the scenario I've created in my mind, God. I don't even know if it's real. But here, here's the picture. Tell God what you need and then, this is huge, look at Thank him for what he has already done. I guarantee you, I don't know anything about what is heavy on your heart today. I could, I could maybe guess by some of the conversations I have with some of you, but I guarantee you this, whatever it is that you're concerned about might happen tomorrow, I know God's already doing right now, today, and so do you. When you stop and say to God, this is what I'm concerned about tomorrow, next week, next month, next season, next year. When you turn and say, this is what I need, but I want to thank you for what he's already doing. You'll find it. He's already doing it. And then, I love the way that Paul puts this chronologically. Present it to God, pray it honestly, thank him for what he's doing, and then, subsequent to that, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. The NIV's version is peace that passes understanding. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Is that not the antithesis of worrying? Is that not the exact opposite of being owned by my anxieties? Is that the peace of God would guard my heart and my wandering mind? My wandering mind does not take me to good and healthy places. Is there anybody here this morning that could say, when I just let my mind go wherever it wants, it always ends up in a good place. 
<laughs> it's kind of a silly statement, right? Because for the vast majority of us, it does not. It does not take us to a good and healthy place. I know that God will guard my heart and my mind. And Paul says this is a practical way in which you can see that happen. The second half of this verse is huge. And now, dear brothers, he says, brothers and sisters, one final thing. This is the tough part because everything up till this has been something that we can call out to God and we can ask God and God will respond. He's far more faithful than we ever imagined him. But now there's a part of this verse that says, this is where the ball is in your court because you are not a puppet. God does not treat you like something just under his control. He says, here's what's in your control. Fix your thoughts. It doesn't mean fix as in repair. It means fix as in attach. Attach your thoughts on what is true and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable, which is a reference to the things that he just made reference to, what God has already done. What God has already done for me, what God has already done for you, is true, and honorable, and right, and pure. And yet my mind, our minds, spend too much time on the things we imagine might happen, might go wrong, which, which for the most part, for the most time, aren't true anyway, right? So, how can I deal with my worry so that worry doesn't dominate my life? My part is this. Fix my mind on what God has done and is doing, which is true and honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. These are biblical principles about how I can address the things that are weighing heavily on me. It sounds a little bit just like, well, you know what, if you're worried about something, just think of something else. I understand that it sounds a little bit redundant that way. But there's biblical sound foundation to some of the best research that's been done in psychology and human thinking. And so how can I deal with worries? First of all, I want to say this. It is not easy. And I had no intention these next two weeks, or these last two weeks, to bring you a formula to just say, if you just do this, checkbox, bing, 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 good, you're done with worry. It doesn't work that way. We've all been around long enough to know it doesn't work that way. There is no such formula. But there are biblically sound principles that we can work with that can mean I can take my worries and I can have ownership of them so that I get to direct what happens rather than my worries and anxieties directing and shaping who I am. That's where the, it becomes an issue for us is when my worries are so overwhelming, they start to shape my character, shape who I am, shape my choices in life. So it looks like this. The science says when you're dealing with worries and anxieties about tomorrow, first of all, get specific about it. What exactly are you worried about? Describe it. Write it down if you have to. And then name it. Call it for what it is. This is a ridiculous thought. Or this is an unfounded thought. I have no proof for this. There's no reason for me. Like label it, name it, call it out for what it is. And that's bringing your thoughts into obedience. That's capturing your thoughts and bringing them into obedience of the gospel. And then secondly, after that, don't avoid it. Engage it. Get right into its face and say, this is what I've been worried about tomorrow, but this is what I know about God today. And look what he has done. I don't think we spend enough time reflecting on what God has done. We get up here sometimes and, and, a, and a worship leader or someone will say it. Has God been good? Amen. We say God's been good. But how often do we actually sit there and dwell on the fact, wait a minute, look what God's accomplished in my life over the last two years, five years, ten years. We don't often very much dwell on that. Paul says, fix your thoughts on what is trustworthy. 
and be willing to put yourself on the altar before God and say, in the same way that the Old Testament would lay laid out a, a, a sacrifice and the entire sacrifice would be consumed in fire. God, if you have to destroy everything about me in order to rebuild me, do that. But God, I need you to fix my thoughts. I've been trying for 20 years and I haven't been able to fix them yet. God, I need you to fix my thoughts. You can do that on the basis of the promise I can make to you, God is faithful. God is faithful to do it. So it is not a magic formula on how to deal with our worries, but this is a way for us to be able to take our worries and not let them own us. This brings me back full circle to the words of Jesus when he says this. In the same teaching in which he said, don't worry about the little things of life, he said this. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will come to you as well. Look, if my first thought, if my first priority, if the thing that I'm concerned about most in my life is that the kingdom of God, the grace of God, the name of God is glorified in my life, if that demands the first priority of my thought, then by default, because of the way I'm wired, I can't have two things demanding my attention at the same time. Two things can't be the most important to me at the same time. And so if God's will for my life, his kingdom lived out through me, is my highest priority, then my worries and anxiety simply can't be. So Jesus had it nailed right from the start. And the result, when I do that, most often is a sense of peace that I can't even describe to you how it got there. Let me pray. Uh, Father, in this room... There are some of us who uh, this, this cuts deep and, and bites and hooks in hard because worry has pushed us around for a long, long time and in many ways. Uh, maybe there's some of us who are sitting here this morning thinking, well, that was a waste of 20 minutes because I don't have worries and anxieties. Every single one of us, every single one of us gets redirected sometimes by the things about we are worried about what tomorrow might look like. Every single one of us, to different degrees. I know that. Father, we were never intended by your design to be people who would be shaped and directed by the things that worry us, the things that weigh heavily on us. We were always intended to be a people who responded to the grace of God proven in our lives. So I start by saying thank you, God, for proving to us. I know as I see it in people's faces, I I see the response that when we focus on who you are, what you are currently doing and what you have done, we brag on the greatness of our God, the provision of our God, the care of our God, the compassion of our God. In the worst of our circumstances that maybe we never imagined coming, you still proved yourself sufficient, full of grace, full of mercy, full of love. Help us to fix our minds on that. That's who you are. That's who you have been. That's who you will continue to be, despite the fact that I will tend to worry about things that I have no basis for concluding. Help me fix that. Help us fix that, Father. I thank you for the day, because when we pray things like this, we do with such great confidence that you hear us. Our words don't bounce off the ceiling. Our words don't escape the room just to dissipate into the thin air. They hit the heart of God. They hit the heart of God. Thank you for being a God who is not distant, who is not remote, but who will meet us in our greatest celebrations and our deepest anxieties. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I ask our worship team to come on back up here and help us to finish our morning with our last song in response to the word this morning?